Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Tonight... I've got a comedian from Denver. Mo Vita's start in stand-up came after tragedy. After a great start in New York, she moved to Denver to take care of her mom and is now traveling the country, featuring, headlining, and producing shows. And I mispronounced her name when I started. It's Mo Vita. So let's bring Mo Vita out right now. Hi, Mo. Hi. <laughs> I'm going to move you over here. Thanks for doing the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So, so one of the things I haven't done as of late is talk about origin stories, like a Marvel thing. So I wanted, because yours sounds interesting, maybe sad, maybe a sad start to it, but right. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it was a while back. So I want I wanted to talk about how you got started. Can you go into that for me? Sure. As you can imagine with comics, we get that question all the time. How did yeah. you get started? How did you get into comedy? And so many people say, oh, I've always wanted to do it. I never thought I would do comedy. My dad died <laughs> in 2009. I was mm. living in New York City, and that was the height of the financial crisis. I'm an only child. And I had, you know, obviously talked to my mom and asked her, do you want me to move back to Denver, which is where I'm originally from? And she said, don't move back if like don't quit your job and so I, I thought okay but it dawned on me I was like oh I might not always be in New York and New York is such a special town I wanted to do something that I felt was kind of New York-y that I would regret not doing and uh -huh. uh, I was like I'm not running the marathon that's for damn sure. <laughs> so I ended up signing up for this one day workshop and it was a comedy writing workshop and I had taken different ones I'd take over tree and all this different stuff but the instructor had told us that they did a 10-week course, and that culminates with you having to actually perform at the end of it. And I thought, well, that sounds horrifying. But as an homage to my father, who no longer can do anything, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to do this. And then we started going to open mics to prepare. And I think part of it was also, in my mind, I thought it was like a very doggy dog world and unkind and just... I, I had some kind of reservations and I mm -hmm. found the community be, to be really lovely and mm -hmm. I found the process to be really compelling and I fell in love with it and I did it for a long time. I would even tell people, I'm like, oh, I'm not really a comic. And somebody went, just elbowed me and said, do you get up there? Do you tell jokes? Do you stand on stage? And I don't know what you think that being a comic means. And then I started to actually get better. And people laughed and they weren't the friends that I would bring to the shows. They were strangers. And I thought, oh, I think I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm a, com I'm a comic now. <laughs> 
that's the best feeling when somebody you don't know laughs and it's real. That's the first time I had that happen. That was the coolest thing. So thinking about the the class that you took, what you you came into a totally green. You hadn't even thought about doing comedy. What did the class do to make you feel like you were more ready to get up and do an act? Scared me. I think I know that sounds dumb, but I just, I think that's what it was. I was older when I started. I wasn't a kid. I was already in my thirties. I had a career going at an MBA and I think it scared me. It it Hmm. really was so different than anything I was doing, anything I thought about doing. And I found comfort in and felt, I I thought it was, I don't know, it just made me feel more vibrant. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it scared me and I wanted to do it. (laughs) What was your first material? Probably the same stuff it's still about, which is just my life, dating, family, my background being Mm -hmm. Hungarian. And when you live in New York City, jokes write themselves (laughs) a lot of times. But it was funny because I somewhere, I don't know where, there was a video of my first performance i actually had two he he let me do two shows and god it's just cringeworthy (laughs) it's so i'm so uncomfortable i memorized everything verbatim i was just autopilot terrified you really have to do that though i think everybody that is somewhat serious about comedy and if you take a 10-week course and you pay for it, you then you're somewhat serious about it. The you that first time is just you trying to get the words and and say yeah. them in order. And sometimes when I go up, it's still like that because I yeah. wasn't even thinking about it before I got up there. And you're just trying to trying to make sure that everything comes out. And it's interesting how you can look back at that and immediately say, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be better and be more in the moment and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's really, it's good that you record those first things. And I did the same thing. And it's always good to look back when you have a uh, shitty night and say, well, at least I'm not that bad. You probably felt this way for my day job. I talk all the time, but when you write a joke, you really have an appreciation for every single word mm-hmm. because you and I both know you can write a funny joke. And if you don't say a certain word or say it a certain way, it won't land. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I started off by memorizing it verbatim. Mm-hmm. And now I'm you know, at a point where I, I can play with it. I don't, Unless I'm doing a longer show, I don't typically write out a set list anymore because um, mm. I like to just, I don't like to do the same set over and over. But yeah, it really gave me an appreciation for words. And also you hear people say, oh, I should do comedy because my coworkers think I'm funny or yeah. I'm the funny one of my friends. <laughs> and I'm like, that's all well and good, but some of the best comics are actually complete introverts. Some of them uh-huh. are even assholes. Yeah. Um, but they're phenomenal writers and they can, and that's why they're successful. So I'm like, it does, you don't have to be the funny person at work. In fact, no. a lot of times you're probably not going to be a good comic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're spot on. They're yeah. most 
comics that I know are pretty introverted, but they are also very smart and very good at writing. And really, and one of the things that I think is almost an advantage of starting a little bit later than when you're like 20 or whatever, is that you've got some life experience and when you get up there, okay, the worst thing in your life has already happened to you. You lost your Yeah, by that point, yeah, I've been through 9-11. I went through a terrible divorce. I, you know, lost jobs. I was in the midst of the financial crisis. Like, I don't give a shit that you didn't laugh. Sorry, I don't know if we're going to, you're not going to laugh at a joke. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's, after you've lived some life, it just makes the whole okay, I bombed, so big deal. I'll just learn from it getting better. And if I was to do the same thing when I was young, 20, go up there and bomb, I probably would never do it again because it's, it, sure. you got ego. You don't, you, you think it's the worst thing in the world that you bombed and all that kind of stuff. But so when, so you do the course, you, you do mics and things like that. When did you start getting serious about, being a stand-up it actually took me a few years to Mm -hmm. to really i i was always going regularly so it wasn't that i wasn't serious in that way i think it was just more in my own head i think it was probably i don't know maybe like even three or four years in where Mm -hmm. i started to think about not only doing stand-up but the career trajectory because that's when you first start you're just worried about five minutes is horrifying you go to an open mic you're like and that's another thing your appreciation for time changes yeah five minutes you're like oh that's nothing and then yeah and when you have no jokes to fill in it's you're like but i think it was the pivotal points where i started working at a comedy club in New York and helping out a producer and stuff where I started to really look at it as not only what do I want to do next as if you will but how do I want to move on in this career mm-hmm. I, I still have a day job how do you move on in the business of and not just simply get better at telling jokes you have to do mm-hmm. both, in my opinion I agree there for sure now, when you decided, okay, I'm going to be, this is going to be serious. This is maybe not my first income, but it's going to be my second income and I want to do it right. What steps did you take to say, okay, I'm a comedian now? So I started to produce shows, run open mics. As I mentioned, I was working with a producer in New York so I could start to understand the business of it. And it's stuff that nobody thinks about. Like you, before you do it, you don't think about how do you seat a room? Mm -hmm. Because that is critical. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. And so I started to take those steps. I started to, not started to, but Fortunately, I was getting opportunities to get booked on different types of things. So I was saying yes to whatever I could, because the other thing I wanted was to do my material in front of different crowds, different places. And when you bomb, the thing is, that's how you evolve. We don't Mm. generally evolve unless we bomb. Right, right. Now, your persona is, 
I thought it was interesting. I, I looked at a lot of tape. I looked at a lot of YouTube and, and oh, things God. like that. You're, you're, <laughs> but the, the persona that I'm getting from you is you talk about the cougar stuff and, and drinking and stuff like that, but it all comes back around to what you said, your, who you are, your family and all that kind of stuff. So it's almost like you, you break the ice by letting everybody know you're single and that you're yeah. ready to mingle. And, and you, the only reason you don't have your drink up there is because you're hoping it gets roofied and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so um, I, I thought. But I'm not I hoping th- it gets roofied. I'm just saying yeah. if you roofie okay. it, you're flirting. I, and but I like how you do that because if a lot of folks they would get into the whole cougar thing. Think about different personas out there that people just get totally stuck, like Larry the Cable Guy. He's totally stuck being Larry the Cable Guy. So you go into that and then you evolve during your set, and yet it doesn't feel like it's two separate sets. That's what I liked about what Thank you were you. doing is that you can do that stuff that's silly and off the wall and then get into the stories and observations without, I guess, not going totally over the top on any of it and mm-hmm. covering all of it and making it gel together in one cohesive bit. Yeah. And basically Does that, make sense? That, that gel is I'm a hot mess. That's wonderful to hear because I am a whole person and I want to be a whole person on stage. To say it's a persona, it's an embellishment um, of who I Mm -hmm. am, but it all comes from very real stuff. And when I talk about being a cougar, by the way, I mentioned how society has handed me that label. I'm tired. (laughs) I just want to take a nap. And it is, I, I think for people who get me, they understand that while I am, to use your word, being silly up there, and and obviously I want people to walk away and feel like they had a good time while I was on stage, I am trying to portray being a woman who is middle-aged, a woman who I hope younger women can look up to, Mm. not as a, on a pedestal or she did it, but more, even though she's messed up stuff in her life or she's had this or that happen it's okay that's what it is I I don't want them to look up to me I'm perfect I want them Mm -hmm. to be able to look not you know what I won't say look up to me I want them to be able to see me and see it as looking forward I think a lot of people in their 20s have a tremendous amount of pressure on them now more so than ever and I just Mm want to be that voice that's you know what it's okay it's all going to be okay and let's just laugh at it and I like it when after shows I have women my age come up and they say hey it's so nice and refreshing to hear somebody who has our voice but I also get younger women coming up to me like oh you're a spirit animal need better parents yeah but I do I cover look I write from my life people say sit down and some people are very observational. They do one-liners. I, I genuinely just write for my life and what's happened to mm. me. It's funny. I'm taking a class. It's an on, online class, but it's a 10-week class, just like yours. And yeah. one of the things that the instructor said was, if you are doing a something personal, if you were doing something that seems like it's out of your life, if there isn't a root and truth in it, 
then it's not going to come off very well because you're not invested in it at all. And we know that when we write jokes, we, like you said, we embellish a little bit. We color it up a little bit because what whatever happened was funny or stupid or tragic, but we color it up because it makes it funnier, but it's all rooted in something that actually happened. And when I watch you, I, I, I never thought there was anything disingenuous it always felt to me like okay this is a day in the life and it's that that's what i liked about it because it was unique in the fact that you've got a a different start than than the end of it and i really liked how you juggled that that's and that's why that's why i wanted you on the show because it's it is different and it's something your humor isn't anything that anybody else could steal because it is so personal. Yeah. I, I really appreciate all those words because I, I try to make it relatable. I think my next step is to just go that, that next level with it. I feel like I'm sitting in a safe space (laughs) right Mm -hmm. now, but that could be because I'm doing shows and I'm very fortunate that they're great audiences and they're pretty responsive, but I would like to write stronger jokes and better jokes and and just ones that pack a little bit more punch. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I really value being relatable. And I also don't want to, some people say I'm a a dirty comic and I'm like, I'm not Mm -hmm. a dirty comic. I'm an Mm -hmm. adult comic who talks about adult things. I do use adult language, but not superfluously, not for shock Mm-mm. value. I don't use yeah. bad words instead of saying and or I use the F bomb. Like that's I think that's unfair to say mm-hmm. that I'm a dirty I'm not a clean comic. That's true, but I, right. I think it discounts what I'm doing up there, candidly. And that's one of the things that it, it bothers me that they have made such a clear separation between dirty and clean because clean has to be pretty much g rated and dirty if you say fuck one time you're a dirty cop and 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 there is an in-between and i've always wanted to skirt into that in-between because i'm a clean comic and i've always wanted to skirt because i in my real life if, if i'm being genuine on stage I say fuck like every sentence. When, when when I type a text to my wife, if I type the letter F, fuck is a, is auto uh, <laughs> completed not for me. Yeah, in my act, I've kept it I've kept it pretty clean and pretty light, and yet I've got heavier stuff and I've got more social commentary that I think I could do, but it doesn't fit into my persona right now the fact that you are working towards that and i'm working towards the same thing i think that's pretty cool and what's a shame too now is when you talk about being a clean comic not only does that mean oh don't curse don't be overtly sexual it goes into like politics like it's basically don't have an opinion don't have a stance but then it's interesting because i've seen clean comics who get a dry bar special and they spend a lot of their set making fun of their wife mm-hmm. and i was like so i guess misogyny's okay yeah <laughs> but me telling you that i get sexualized on the internet and that i get unsolicited dick pics that's somehow uh-huh. my fault and i shouldn't talk about that right you know it's irritating that's irritating yeah. um 
But look, it is what it is. I think that what's really nice, you can sit there and and talk about the negative, but what's really great is the internet has allowed people to not have to deal with that type of gatekeeping. They can put their content out there and if people like it, they like it. And if they want to be fans, they can be fans and they can choose. Whereas before it literally was, do I get booked at this club? Do Mm -hmm. I get to do a late night? And even late night has become racier. Yeah. Yeah, it's I like. (laughs) Yeah. And I I guess the only thing I look for is if it's funny. You could say anything and if you make it funny, I'm okay with it because I can't be offended. But that's just me. Some folks can be offended really quick. And but I one of the one of the things you went through was the whole New York to Colorado thing. Uh And how far were you into your comedy career before you had to go help with mom uh about seven years seven years so it was you started in 2009 so it was pretty smack dab in the middle of where you are now so that that had to been a big shift because you're in a place where you're if you're producing show your own shows and mics and things like that that you could pretty much do comedy twice a day seven days a week if you want and Colorado, I know the Denver area is getting much, much more prolific and even Boulder is getting much more uh, prolific as far as comedy shows are concerned. But you went from that to that. How did that affect you? Fortunately, it was good on a comedic level. I think I, I lost the community and it's a funny thing that happened what I first so first of all I'll say this I didn't know there was a Denver comedy scene because anytime I came home to visit it was usually for a long weekend I spent time with my parents my friends I took a breather from comedy when I would come home and visit so when I was moving back here I was scared I was was like am I gonna have to hang it up Mm -hmm. you know I was already thinking maybe I'll do like road gigs like I, I was trying to figure out how I could still maintain and then much to my delight I got here and the scene was great there's mics and shows every single night and the good thing that happened is I started being offered more time and actually being Mm. paid and it's funny the first time I did 15 minutes it was so uncomfortable and because I'd been so used to five and seven and you realize I have a ton of material actually But then you have to cobble it together and then you start Mm -hmm. doing 20 minutes and 30 minutes and 45. And that's a different muscle. And it is different when you're the headliner. You carry the show. Those Mm -hmm. whatever happens, you've got to kill it because Mm -hmm. you want those people to be like, yeah, that we get why she's the headliner. So all of that, very fortunately for me, has developed and, and that's where my growth has been. It is funny that. I earned my stripes in New York and that didn't end up translating here as far as the community because I didn't produce shows here and I didn't produce mics. And so all that hard work, like I just never existed to these people before. Mm -hmm. And so I had somebody, it's funny. I had somebody come up to me very early on. I did a set and they were like, wow, you're pretty funny for being new to comedy because (laughs) you see most people start here or maybe in a smaller market come here and then go on to New York and I did it the other way and it just dawned on me I was like I didn't exist to these people until I got here so they don't have an appreciation for all the hard work that I put in but I'm going to be really honest 
I already did it and I don't want to do it again. Mm -hmm. I don't. And that unfortunately, I think holds me back in the social aspect. I'll say it that way of the scene, but I'm okay with that. So what you're saying is you're an adult and you just don't want to network with a bunch of 25 year olds uh, for two hours after a mic, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? The funny thing is I'm fine with it. It is interesting because sometimes you get that sense, oh, she's not doing the hang. And I was like, do you want a chaperone? I'm literally probably your mother's age. Yeah. I'm, this isn't going to be fun for you. I just, I think that, and this is a compliment because I've seen that the people in this scene work very hard. They take it very seriously. They're producing shows. They're doing mics. And I get why they might look at somebody like me and be like, all she's doing is taking spots. I get that. I a hundred percent get that. I think what they don't realize is I've done that shit. I used to run a Monday mic in a basement that started at nine 30. Like I've done it. You know, I, I don't, I just have no interest in going back. I'll do, you know, if there's a person I want to work with and there's an opportunity to produce something that I really, you know, feel is important. I was, I was producing um, a show at a theater for a little bit before COVID that I felt was important. I wanted to really bring diversity to the mm-hmm. stage. So I do, and I will produce, but I'm just saying. I know exactly how you feel because I moved to Huntsville from Northern Indiana and that scene, I was doing the same thing as you. I was putting on my own shows and getting people paid. It was great. And then we decided to move down here and I've done a couple things. And I, I don't even know if I want to put this effort in again. And, yeah. and I, So I've been dragging my feet between that and not knowing what kind of comedy I want to do. I've been dragging my feet about doing a whole bunch of stuff. And there there was a pretty big COVID spike here during the last couple months. So I was always careful about that because I'm an older gentleman. And even though I'm vaccinated, I know I could still get it and, and I don't want to spread it around. So I was careful in that aspect too, but I really know where you're coming from. And the one thing that they can't deny is that you're funny. So when you've performed there, people say you're funny for the first time for somebody who's doing, who's new at it. Yeah. I'm sure as you've, uh, been down there they're like okay she knows what she's doing and I'm sure you probably get some time because of that yeah and you know look this has always been the case people like to book their friends but there there are certain jokes that are going to resonate with people more than others I get that 25 year olds are going to be like oh here comes Mel again with her cougar joke there's also a whole group of people who love that and they're usually the ones with more money yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're adults who can pay $20 and want to drink a lot. But and this is funny. So this is something that's been happening recently that I didn't realize because somebody had asked me, they were doing a show up in Cheyenne and I had just headlined that show not even a month ago, I don't think. Mm. And they asked me if I would give them a ride and told me I could get a spot if uh-huh. I gave them a ride. <laughs> All I said, because again, as a producer, I've produced, I said, ask the producer if he's okay with that, because I just headlined that show. Now, you and mm-hmm. I understand what I was saying. I wasn't yeah. being arrogant. Right. I was saying, like, that's a production thing. And and 
he, he was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I know you're a headliner and I'm just offering you a spot. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is not what I'm saying at all. I will do tens all day long. I would love that. But then it dawned on me that like my bookings have gone down, but they've now they are pretty much only headliner feature. Mm. So now I'm like, oh crap, the word out on the street that I am totally fine doing 10 minute spots. Like right. I, I would rather work more than less. I don't know. And I think that's the New York hustle that's still mm. there. I just drove to Casper, Wyoming, which I didn't realize it's <laughs> four plus <laughs> hours from Denver to headline uh, a brewery there. Uh-huh. So I, I think one thing you, you can't say about me is that I don't have a strong work ethic. So did you drive the four hours and do the set and then drive home? No, we spent the night. We had okay. a, they, yeah. they did provide a <laughs> they did provide a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I I had friends great. up in South so, yeah. Yeah, I had friends up in South Bend that would drive four hours and drive four hours back. And I'm way too old for that shit. And See, if that's not, the stuff I'll do. I, I will yeah. do that. If it's a good show. And it was a great show. It's a beautiful brewery in Casper. The staff, the team were so on board. It was a true show. Gosh, we were somewhere between 50 and 100 people. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what the final headcount was. And to me, that's good. I, I want people to know my name. I want them to be like, oh, I'll follow you on Instagram now. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So, yeah. So I'll do that kind of stuff like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things that we have in common is we have a day career and we're trying to do the comedy thing. How were you able to juggle both things for so long because since 2009 that's a long time to be staying out late and going to work early oh god i also added that i am now pursuing a master's (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) i don't like any free time or sleep um Uh and pish posh on dispensable income i'm just perpetually tired no i'm a night owl anyhow Mm -hmm. and as i've gotten older and honestly probably because of my dad's passing i started to realize this is it this Mm -hmm. is it this is the ride that you get Mm -hmm. and i will hear people say and and i'm not putting them down but I, i will hear people especially my age say oh you know that's great that you're performing but the show's at 7 30 or 8 it's a weeknight I'm going to be really tired if I go. And sometimes people will talk about being tired for a day, like it's a terminal illness. Yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I watched my father die and never at any point did he say, I wish I would have gotten more sleep. You just, when you watch somebody pass and go through Mm -hmm. that dying process, they never, no, I shouldn't say never, but you really don't hear them talk about the things like that or, or I had a nice house. I had a lot of money. Like it's about memories. It's about experiences. If it is about money, it's usually money that provided for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really eye opening. And I was just like, okay, I'm tired. There's just worse things in my life that I've felt right. and gone through them being tired. 
Right. I concur with that. The whole sleep thing is overrated and and I'm older than you, but you get to a certain age and you feel like I need to pack a lot into these last right? years rather than everything I wasted in the first years. I, I need to do something to balance that out because, yeah, it's something so many people that are in their 40s and 50s are just so stuck in being who they are and who they were and they are they work they come home they watch tv they go to bed and they go I to a comedy show once a year tired yeah, yeah i'll be honest with you i think it's the boredom that makes them feel tired candidly uh-huh. because yeah. first of all comedy is addictive right mm-hmm. so it's you want to do it but then also it's for me it's so satisfying and it balances out my work life that I don't have kids I don't this is it for me so for me it's what gives me that work-life balance and I don't want the life balance to simply be binge watching shows and going to bed at 8 30 and I'm Mm. not putting that down I'm not putting it down I'm just saying that's not right for me that's not what I want and I if I died today, I promise you, I will have died knowing that I had a really cool life mm. and I had really neat experiences and unique experiences and I'm okay. And that's right. what I want. That's what's important to me. Mm. And I, I respect that because it's not easy. It's it, <laughs> trying to you know, juggle everything. And the the thing that gets me the most, and I don't know if this does you, but my day job is pretty stressful and there's a lot on my shoulders. So when sometimes I'm going up on stage, all of a sudden, for no reason, work just goes into my brain and it gives me a shitty set because I'm not thinking about the comedy part. It's really hard to turn that part of your brain off so that you can actually just relax and do the comedy. Yeah. Oh, I've definitely had that happen where, so my day job is not nine to five. I don't get to just stop doing it. And I've had it where I've had to be emailing with clients or take a candidate call or whatever, right before I'm supposed to go up. And it does affect you for sure, because I, I, I like to get in the zone. I need to get in the zone and you can't mm. do that. You're like negotiating a, a, somebody's package, yeah. a compensation package or whatever. And if I'm being completely honest, it, I, it, that it can't, so Comedy can't affect work that way. Mm. I can't fuck up work. So unfortunately, comedy sometimes does have to take a hit. Mm. But again, we were talking about this earlier. If the hit is, I didn't land a joker. But for me, it's more, I think just my energy is different. And Mm -hmm. I I do believe in energy. Like I'm saying the same jokes. It's not like I don't know my jokes or whatever. But my energy is different. And I think the audience picks up on that. And there is something to be said about not relying on comedy to be your main source of income or your complete career. I, I don't know about you, but it relaxes me a little bit, just knowing eh, whatever, if it doesn't, if this doesn't go right, then I still got a job. I can still pay the bills, but those, some of those 
kids get a little bit desperate sometimes. And I, I've seen that the desperation of the only thing I know how to do is be a comic. And if this doesn't work for me, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, and you stop being a woman. Yeah. It's unsafe. I, I just had an incident where I was at a festival and somebody asked if they could crash in my room for a night because they were just mm -hmm. down there for a night. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we were just chatting and they mentioned, I really didn't want to pay for a hotel room. They're pretty expensive. I was thinking maybe I would just find a date for the night. And I thought, and I'm not even a mother, but my maternal instinct kicked in immediately. And I was yeah. like, you do not ever do that if uh -huh. I can help it. it. can always stay with me. And that candidly has definitely been part of it is I feel safer knowing that I have the money to get out of a bad situation. Also, it's given me opportunities because let's face it, some shows don't pay shit, but mm -hmm. you want to do them. If I have to pay for it, I look at it as an investment. And I say, I'm planning my escape from corporate America because at this, again, I started in my mid thirties. So mm -hmm. I'm not naive about this stuff. I, right. It's going to be a different career path for me in a different journey so I basically want to be Betty White <laughs> yeah. but not like the front part of her career just I just want to be like a funny old lady who can tell people to fuck off uh -huh. um, and then they say thank you because you're so adorable uh, <laughs> but I'm not kidding like I literally want to get to a point where I've got that nest egg and I can write and I can invest in my friends who are doing this. I would love that. I would love to invest a friend of our, or somebody on the scene, just opened a comedy club that is phenomenal. And I don't have it like that quite yet, but my point is I absolutely want to keep doing this, but I want to branch out. And I think mm. if I can do it and also invest in it monetarily nothing would give me greater joy that's a really good path i haven't asked this question in a while what's your favorite what's the best moment you've had as a comedian oh, on stage oh my goodness i've had a few i think some of the more recent stuff so in 2019 i was producing a show in brooklyn with a really good friend of mine who i adore and we were taking proceeds from that show and contributing to a kind of after school or outside of school coding program for underprivileged kids. And so that was super fulfilling, both comedy wise, because we had these amazing audiences. I was back in my hometown. And so it fulfilled me comedically from a craft standpoint. I got to book the show. So I got to do comedy with some of my favorite comics and, and bigger names and then to know that on the back end we and we went to Philly and we got to meet some of the kids and the, their families who we were helping and a lot of it was my friend I have to mm. her name Chandra Daniels and she's an amazing networker and just an amazing human being and she got a corporate sponsor who had come to our show Mm. And was like, oh my gosh, I love this and gave them 10 computers. That to me encompassed everything that I want to do mm. with comedy. It's mm. I want to make people laugh. I want to feel good about it. I want to have good sets. I want to be able to work with people I look up to. And then I want to be able to use the platform to do good outside of just comedy and outside of just 
building my own bank account and my own career. That's a good story. I, 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 there's nothing better than knowing that you were able to contribute to, you know, the betterment of folks who need it. And that's really a good story. I, my story of doing a charity show was I did one for the Humane Society up in, uh, South Bend. And it was one of those shows where they were doing music and comedy and they had two levels. There was people downstairs playing music and people upstairs doing comedy. And oh <laughs> I, I, I think I did 15 or something like that. And I don't think that one person listened to one joke. It was, they were just all talking. It was just like, yeah. a, it, it wasn't geared towards comedy at all. So that's what, actually one of my worst moments, but at least we made some money for the Humane Society. So that was great. So yeah, those are tough about, shows. We've yeah, done, I've yeah, done those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not fun at all. I do like to do music open mics, though, because they give you more time. And if you can oh, win yeah? a music, musical crowd over, then you're doing pretty good. So, yeah. No, I've never done that. So now I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And some of them say their mix will take anybody. You could do slam poetry or whatever. But uh, most of them are just, if you go and you're not doing comedy, it's all music. And I, I used to do one that was so set up for music, I couldn't even hold the mic. It was, the mic was like, bolted in a stand so that it would go to the right, right. height of the person playing guitar or fiddle or whatever. Yeah, it was, it's interesting doing that. So thinking about where you're at, what do you think is the best and worst advice you got coming up being a comedian? I think some of the most important advice I got was in the very beginning because it actually was bigger than what maybe this person even intended you see yourself a certain way right everybody you just have a, a way that you see yourself and i was doing i i have a very self-deprecating sense of humor mm. and i was doing jokes about dating and they were based on oh because i look like this mm. and somebody pulled me aside and they were like that's not gonna work and I'm like, why? And, and I say this with zero arrogance, but they were like, look, the reality is if somebody's looking at you on stage and you're like, oh, I can't get a date because of how I look, they're going to be like, that's bullshit. Mm. You're going to get creepy guys will be like, I'll take you out. But the reason I say it was great advice is that it set off a light bulb of, I need to understand what the audience sees Mm -hmm. what I'm giving off, how I look, like it, it just, it really hit me like a hammer. You're a performer. You're not Monica on stage. Mm -hmm. You're Mo Vita. And again, I, I'm not a persona. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have a character that I'm doing, but I definitely give thought to my brand, I guess is a way to say it. And it also made me realize, oh, if I can make friends with the women in the audience, then that will give permission, if you will, for their boyfriends and husbands to laugh at me too. Mm. So that whole like gender, what do you look like? And not in a, in a, a superficial way of what you look like, but understand what people are seeing, understand mm. what you're putting out there. And that came very early on. And I'm certainly very appreciative of it mm. because that just completely changed 
how I was thinking about jokes and, and what I needed to do on stage. I still suck. They were like, listen, if you go up there and you're like, I'm really neurotic or I'm not a fun person to date or I can't cook and whatever, like stuff that people can't question because they don't know you versus uh-huh. stuff they can see. So that I thought was really good advice. Um, I don't know that it's the worst advice. It's the advice I don't like, which is don't reveal your age on stage. Mm. I don't like that. I don't like being told to not do that. Yeah. I think it's really important that people know that there is a 47 year old woman up there doing this. Uh-huh. And it only affects women. That's another thing. It, no, nobody cares More how so old the guy sure. is. Yeah. Definitely more. I do see ageism just across the board, but uh-huh. boy, it really is much more. I, I will say this. I think women get told that. I think it affects both genders, but I think women are the ones that get told, don't say, you know, don't say your age. Don't, uh-huh. you know. And I'm like, why wouldn't I? First of all, it's not like you're going to look at me and think that I'm way younger than I am. You can tell, you can get a sense that I'm in my 40s. And and then also I have jokes about that. And I'm like, don't take away my jokes. Because again, they're important to me. And Mm -hmm. I think, frankly, they're important to a lot of people. Yeah. Those are the things that resonate. Mm -hmm. That's the reason women my age come up to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, this might go a little bit long because you hit a hot button, ageism. Uh So (laughs) tell me your experience with ageism without naming names and all that kind of stuff. Tell tell me your experience. Look, I just think that it exists in this world in general. I candidly think I'm pretty fortunate in part because of my day job, in part because I do this that I can navigate it more positively. It's just, the big one is social media, right? A lot of these younger comics are just killing it on social media. They Mm. understand how to do it. They want to do it. That's the thing. I'm from a generation where you didn't want to put everything out there. Because of my job, I realize people don't get jobs because of what's out there. Yeah. So for me, I really struggle with that. And that's absolutely a gen- generational thing. Look, I, not that I was up for girl code, but it's very clear. Like I'm never going to get booked for anything on MTV or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. So that's, that's kind of the ageism that I've dealt with. I, the funny thing is it's been more about, I've been called a whore because of the jokes that I tell. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I don't, t- I don't talk about my sex life in like intricate detail on stage. I talk mm-hmm. about the stuff that happens. I talk about society sexualizing me. So I just, I feel like I've dealt with more of the gender thing than the age thing, other than the very obvious stuff that I'll just never even get considered for certain things. I see a little bit of the age ageism but it's one of those things that doesn't apply to men as it does as much as it does to women i think it applies to men but i think it applies to men at a later age so i think men get a pass Uh through i'm gonna say their 50s yeah women start to struggle in their like mid-30s for sure oh yeah yeah i can i can see that and the humor has to, it's weird because if you are performing with 
four other 20 somethings, you just know there's going to be four eating ass jokes and, (laughs) and then you come up and do your thing and (laughs) smart young people know that at the very least we're a palate cleanser. So we're, I like we're how gonna, you're like ass eating palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna be different, and yeah. it's gonna it's gonna satisfy the people in the audience that are of a certain age, and it, it, we, sometimes it's a plus. I've been booked on stuff just because I'm the only old guy. It, yeah, have to have a token old guy. And so yeah, that was it, it, it can be a positive, it can be a negative too. Uh, to get really in the scene, you the youngsters are the gatekeepers so many times, and they, they're just not confident enough in themselves to let somebody that's uh, twice their age come and play. Yeah. And and I that is absolutely a struggle that I've had on this scene. Because in New York, again, a lot of people have been doing it a lot longer. It's that it's the mecca for stand-up comedy. So you have stand-up comics who are more your age also. And it's mm-hmm. not all just really young people here. It's mostly 20s, early 30s. And then I'm like 10 or 15 years older, in some cases 20 years older than these mm-hmm. guys. And I love them. I like hanging out with them. I, I have no issues. I just think there's just a reality to it. And my life is so different than their life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, <laughs> hey, I'm glad I'm alive. I dig it. I dig it. And I, I'm i feeling more comfortable talking about the issues that women face now because I've, I think eight out of my last 10 interviews have been women. So I'm easing myself into being a feminist and a spokesperson for women because I didn't feel like it was my place to talk about it. Then I had two comics that had gone through sexual harassment and stuff like that in comedy. And they, they said, I absolutely should be talking about it. And because yeah. the only, and you can be an that, ally. Yeah. The only people, if you're a good person, to, you're an ally. Yeah. Yeah. And people aren't going to listen to women talking about what they're going through, but they'll listen to a guy talk about it. We appreciate you. Yeah. It's a very weird thing where some men get really, yeah, they, I don't know. It's so weird. Like they get very defensive, which always makes me wonder. I'm like, why are you defensive about this? And then I wonder, do you have no women in your life? And I very genuinely, do you not talk about this with your mother or your daughters, or your sisters. And I'm not talking about, hey, mom, what kind of sexual harassment? But just even being aware of when I was a young woman, I couldn't get a credit card without my without your dad signing on for it. I mm. mean, I just, there's such important conversations, and I don't know why we still treat it like it's a junior high school dance, and it's like, men, boys over <laughs> here, girls over here. I just, I don't get that. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. And it's, it's weird how the same stuff that happened you know back then is still happening even though there's so much more awareness about it people are just but i I will say this too really quickly i really want to be somebody on the scene who can who like the younger women comics can feel like they can come to me and have an ally and and i want while I think it's important to have these conversations and make men understand what's happening, I also want women to feel stronger. I want mm. them to be more, not just vocal on in a Facebook group, 
I, I want them to feel like it's okay to say no. You, If you intimidate a bully and you push back on them, more often than not, you figure out they're more fragile than anybody else. Oh, yeah. It can be dangerous. You need that gut instinct. But I'm just mm-hmm. saying, I, I really want us to be strong. This has been great. I know we went down a few different tangents there, but that's that, that means but it's, it's a about. good one. So, <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, if uh, folks want to find you uh, and what you're doing, what's the best way? I pretty much post everything on Instagram, either in my story, usually in my stories. In Across social media, I'm at MochaVita. So that's at M-O-K-A-V-I-D-A. And that's the best. You'll see what I'm up to. Okay. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This was great. It was really nice yeah. to meet you.